Welcome back to another hour of Sky Shower. This is episode 100. I am Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right. And uh, before we get jumping in here, first I'd like to say thank you for all those of you who listen to us. Um, please like, share, and subscribe uh, if you like our content. Leave some comments if you uh, want to give us any suggestions uh, or anything like that. And uh, in this episode here, for our 100th episode, this is actually a big, big feat, I think. <laughs> uh, like we're like uh, four on. episodes less than two years yeah that's pretty big right <laughs> that's so, what she said <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be talking about uh lagavulin, lagavulin 12 special release uh 2021 2021 and then from there uh we're gonna go into our shout outs get it togethers mm. uh then uh our restaurant review which is uh Burgers, brews, and bourbon, or bourbon, brews, burgers, or it's three Bs. That's all I got to tell you, right? Three Bs. It's, there's burgers, and there's beers, and then there's uh, and, and bourbon there. And then uh, our final, uh, and then I guess our uh, smarter challenge, which is to decant or not to decant. Uh, and as well as uh, we did a, uh, we're going to be doing a review of the TV series on Netflix called The uh, Queen's Gambit. Uh, did I miss anything there in our intro? No, I think that is a pretty good intro of everything we've got going on this episode. All right. Uh, minus so. a few surprises that always creep up. <laughs> Scotch review. With this episode, we do have the Lagavulin 12-year special release. And I think we're in for a fantastic treat. I'm super excited about this one. First of all, like, who doesn't think that that is a sexy canister? I think that's an awesome <laughs> And being that I'm a Leo, I love that line right there. I really do. It is kick-ass. It is. It is uh, I mean, the year this one came out, this was by far my favorite canister this year. Um, the 2022 was, was a tough call. But with this one, uh, I, I think we're in for a pretty smoky treat. I hope so. I really do. All right. So with the, the 2021 special release, a couple basics about Lagavulin. Founded in 1816 by John Johnson and Archibald Campbell, and they originally did two distilleries when they founded uh, their establishment way back when, centuries ago, and then one took over the other. Now, they never said who it was that took over the other. There's a lot of... Uh, cloudiness around which one was the victor uh, but within some of its history Lagavulin at one point was leasing Lafroig's distillery trying to copy their flavor I wonder if they would be trying to do the same thing today um, Lafroig's a great scotch but I think it's this no one <laughs> yeah it's no lager <laughs> um, so the Lagavulin 12 year oh man um 56 0.5% ABV. So these special release scotches are done at cask strength. So it'll kill some of those germs. If you have a cold, this might be the perfect nightcap. Every one of our distilleries that has become some of our favorites has their own sacred water source, or at least very special water source. Uh, the Salem Lochs is where Lagavulin gets their water from. Um, and it's known for its production. And and use of slow, a very slow distillation process, probably to get some of that peaty, smoky flavor going. Um, and it's pear-shaped 
pot stills. Um, with its two rinse and its two wash stills, uh, a capacity each of about 12,500 liters, so right around 25,000 liters combined. Nice. Man, I'm excited. Uh, it's a little bit weird. I, if you guys are watching <laughs> this for the first time, you probably don't know this, but if you've been watching this for a while, you normally have headphones on, so uh, if we, if I feel a little bit off, uh, that's probably probably the reason why. Um, in any case, um, I, the only thing I'm going to add here uh, is the tours. I yeah! Tours. Uh, so with Lagavulin, they have three different tours. They have what's called the classic tour where you, uh, you actually get a guided tour of the premises there. And you get three uh, tasting of three different drams. Uh, then they have, and that goes for $27.20 roughly. So basically $27. Bucks. Uh, then we have the tasting experience where you get four... Uh, you get to try four different uh, drams, and that one is, that one goes for twenty one dollars. So if you ask me, I'd rather just pay the six more dollars, get the tour, <laughs> and even though I get one less uh, dram, but you're getting that whole better experience. Then, uh, oh, just uh, I forgot to also mention with the classic one, uh, where you get the three drams of the tour, that's one and a half hours long, whereas the tasting of the four uh, the four drams, uh, it's only one hour long. Then they have the warehouse cask experience where you get to uh, do a cask tasting. That's only one hour long. And honestly, I think out of all the descriptions here, this is the one I would probably recommend for everyone to go do. If you get a chance to go do it, uh, this one here is approximately $47. Uh, and obviously, you know, that, that can fluctuate with, uh, you know, exchange rates and stuff like that. But um, I think uh, that one probably sounds the best. Um, but definitely if you... Find yourself out there in Isla. I would definitely go take a tour of uh, of Lagavulin. It's definitely on my uh, bucket list. Oh, absolutely! Uh, and if you haven't figured it out, as he just mentioned, it is an Isla distillery. Uh, we visited a few of uh, Lagavulin scotches now on our show. The most recent was in episode eighty-eight, the Offerman Charred Oak Edition, where our smarter challenge was the best of Christopher Walken, which was very fitting for such a bold scotch. Three months ago. Yeah. Yeah, 12 weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> Time flies. Tempest Fugit. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a little inscription here on the back of the canister, which I'll try to quickly read, because I think it's a, it's a fun little tale about the scotch. Um, so these years, the 2021 was called, or is called, the Lion's Fire. And as our fable goes, the King of Isla, seen upon the crest of Lagavulin, was no ordinary feline, but a lion rampant who prowled the grounds of an Isla castle. A fresh victor, intense in power and pride. This brooding and battle-worn beast won its crown through flame and ferocity and came to represent one of Scotland's most fiery distilleries, Lagavulin. From Isla's history of fierce competition emerged a taste triumphant, one of the oldest distilleries on the island, Lagavulin's early leader, James Logan Mackey, and his unrelenting nephew, Peter J. Mackey, known as Restless Pete, were renowned for going the extra mile in the name of achieving powerful flavor. That tenacious spirit can be tasted in every sip of this legendary dram. Deceptive with 
with its inviting golden hue. A first taste, this rare beast growls gently, teasing with lemon, salty sweetness, and roasted tea. Intense blackened wood stalks the palate before a long, rich, and drying finish, roaring with chili pepper and great waves of smoke. A classic Lagavulin 12 striking in every way. The King of Isla in his prime. That was bad, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were Mackey or something? All I could think of was Mr. Mackey from South Park. Oh that my was God. bad, <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like the biggest druggie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, should we proceed? Yes. Without further ado, we're not going to keep ourselves waiting. We're not worried about anyone else at this moment. Uh, the Lagavulin 12. And it is interesting because this is not what either of us would typically consider a sexy color for a scotch, especially one so peaty and smoky. Yeah, it does look from the bottle that it's kind of light matte color there like a light straw color and um, it kind of makes me wonder if they put it in if they uh, charred the oaks at all uh, the barrels if they I am not sure they are known for uh, using um, sherry oak casks especially with their Lagavulin 16 and distillers versions um, who knows I I mean, maybe they don't char those barrels very heavy. Maybe that's part of their magic, but they get the peat and they get the smoke in there. All right. What do you, what do you say? Wooden top, plastic top? Oh, we know this has got some wood. <laughs> uh, I'm just wondering, because like anymore, it's like they're going like, oh, plastic. Uh, man, so many places are the plastic, man. I still like a little uh, nature. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm gonna say wood. Wood or no wood? <laughs> wood. <laughs> That's what she said. Right? <laughs> All right, with this one, we're just gonna go for it. Ready? This is where you need like uh, a woman coming uh, to your bedside. She goes, do you need help with that morning? Go ahead and pop something uh, <laughs> to like for you. That's right. Why, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time for our warm speed and cheers. Cheers. Lagavulin, uh, <laughs> I really, I think they're a great distillery. Uh, they have some really great uh, scotches. I love this past year's uh, uh, Lagavulin Eleven, the, the Offerman. Um, and uh, I forget what is it. What is the notation on that one? Because like it had been Guinness of two two previous times. Uh -huh. This one was something different. charred oak. Charred oak, yeah. So I thought they did a phenomenal job with that one. That one, like I raved about and loved it. I think the uh, Lagavulin 16 <laughs> is a staple. You have to have it. Uh, the Lagavulin 9 was fantastic. Uh, 
And uh, even the eights uh, it is a is a, is a great dram as well. It's a decent dram. Uh, this one here though, I I uh, I struggle with this with this twelve. And and, uh, and maybe it's just just my 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 taste buds or whatever. But I'll first start off with the coloring. The coloring here is light. Uh, I put like a like a light straw color, um, and. Um, with the aroma, see here, I think it's a total win on the aroma because I'm getting like hints of lime, uh, that citrus lime that you get with some maritime, and right there, I'm already thinking summertime or something like that. And then it goes uh, and and it's kind of funny because I I put refreshing spring, so lime with maritime, bonfire, uh, kind of like that bonfire smell with with some oakiness. Uh, which reminds me of a nice springtime or maybe having a bonfire on the beach or something like that. And that's kind of what I get with the aroma. So the aroma is very invite, inviting. And being that it's like 56.5 ABV or something right around that, I didn't get any alcohol burn uh, when um, smelling the aroma of this, of this, uh, of this, of this great scotch. Um, now the palate. It's very light body. However, um, but even though it's light body, I'm getting like I got hints of uh, saline. Uh, the citrus from the wine does come out a little bit. I get the smoky peat, which is kind of like almost a, a staple for Lagavulin, and and some also hints of toffee because uh, you get some nice sweetness in there. Uh, now, when it comes to the finish, and this is what I I said I, I put. It hits me with black pepper. That subsides going into uh, the smoky oak that you typically would get from a lagavulin. And then hints of citrus. And all of a sudden, like, that spiciness comes back and it just overpowers you. Uh, or at least it overpowers me. And it's a long, spicy, lingering finish. And it's not caused by the alcohol. And I, and so I said, it was like, I get a blast with black pepper. Then it goes to the smoky oak that I expect with a hint of citrus. And then I get blasted again with a long, lingering, spicy black pepper. Uh, but as we were talking, you said that there's notes in there saying that they use cayenne pepper or something like uh, that? Uh, there's, there's tasting notes from Master of Malts, I believe it was, that mentioned chili pepper. And it's also on the canister. Yeah, so if it has chili pepper in it or whatever, maybe that's the spiciness I get. And I honestly do not like that because... Um, first of all, I'm not a person like it's usually when it comes to spices, I can't do too much above Tabasco sauce. <laughs> uh, occasionally I'll venture out and I'll try it now. And, and then I, uh, instantly get reminded why I am not a huge, uh, spice fan. So we, uh, with starting with this episode, we have started a new, uh, ranking or uh, point system. Uh, and this was the suggestion that came from somebody who said that they like what we do, but they wanted us to do a point system. So just to kind of basically give us, uh, give you our point system. Uh, we have a point system that goes uh, up five points for uh, presentation. So a really awesome presentation with a nice canister label and that type of stuff gets a five, probably something with no, no canister or, and I really bare label would probably get like maybe a zero or a one. <laughs> uh, then we got color. 
Um, at least for Noah, for me, and I can't speak for Jesse, light straw is going to get out of one, uh, one point, and a dark amber or dark copper is going to get five points because I just like that. I like that dark coloring. Then we have aroma, which goes up to 30 points. So we've got five for, five for presentation, five for color, 30 points for aroma, 30 points for the palette, and 30 points for finish, giving us a total of 100 points. So here with this log of woolen, I love the labeling. I love everything about it. I'm a Leo. Uh, it's a fire sign, so I get the whole fire and, and lion thing, which also totally makes sense with the whole chili pepper because that's fire, right? Uh, and uh, so the labeling here, I love the, also love the coloring on it. I'm giving that a five. I love the presentation. Uh, the canister really knocks out the ballpark. Uh, the label... I expected a little bit more out of the label, but still the labeling with the coloring and the classic look of the Lagavulin I think is great. So once again, I think it's a solid five. The color. Uh, to me, it's a light straw color, so that got a one. When it comes to the aroma, I love Maritime. Uh, so for those of you who watched us for a while, you know one of my favorite distilleries is Obit. So, and I like that sea salt, sea air type of uh, Maritime uh, aroma. So because it has that saline or maritime in it, uh, that's a big plus for me. It has a refreshing scent uh, to it. Uh, that's also a big plus for me. Um, so I gave it 25 out of 30 points there. Uh, the palate, um, even though I don't like the, the spice, the spice really didn't hit me too much in the mid, uh, in that beginning and mid palate, uh, but it did create for, because that spice it did create for a short front and mid palate. Uh, but I gave it 20 points there. And the finish, because I don't like spice, and that's just, that's just a personal <laughs> thing for me. It's like I said, uh, maybe if you like spicy foods, this might be totally right up your alley. Um, but for me, because I'm not like, I really can't go much above like Tabasco sauce, and I most certainly don't want it in my scotch, really. Um, I gave it 15 points there. So 25 plus 20 plus 15 plus 1 plus 5. That gives us a grand total of a 66 out of 100. I feel really bad giving this score to Lagavulin for this particular bottle uh, because I really do believe they deserve something higher. But really, I think what hurt it here for me is that uh, that finish with the spiciness. Uh, would I share it with a friend? Yes, I would share it for, with a friend. Would I take it to a por poker night? Uh, yeah, I would take it to a poker night. And would I take it to a uh, black tie affair? Yes, I think it's something that you could take to a black, uh, black tie affair or an elegant uh, outing because I think the labeling and the, and the presentation of it would make for a great talking points and stuff like that. So um, even though I gave it a 66, I do believe that that's a low score for this Lagavulin. And really, I think it's just probably because uh, the spice that really kind of turned me off. Uh, but overall, I think it's a great. Uh, I still think it's a great bottle, and I think uh, many people, especially if you like spicy foods, would really love this bottle. Um, All right. Well, <clears throat> you and I definitely, as we have known, see things a little bit different for our personal Scotch taste. <laughs> so, going through some of the basics first, color absolutely, you nailed it. This is a super 
and I mean super pale straw color. Uh, I'm kind of surprised though you didn't like the gothic attribute. <laughs> but no, really, it is this very, very surprisingly to me uh, for a Lagavulin, um, typically not very dark in color, but uh, it is a surprise to me that it is quite this pale for something that has so much body. Um, on the nose this is absolutely where this scotch wins for me the nose is fantastic um it is clean i the first time i smelled it the first thing i thought was oban um, because it's got that clean maritime sea air smell that just clears your sinuses um, and then i go to and this is why i thought you were making tea earlier i get dry tea out of it in the nose i get dried tea and then cocoa and lemon zest final um, little lingering piece there is that bonfire smell so for me it is a very almost sharp in layers clean crisp maritime smell and i do when i smell the cocoa i love it now the palate is quite different than the nose so for me the palate is um, unlike yourself for me the palate is super smooth and sweet i am getting um, a lemon acidity more of that sea air um, but the palate isn't as intric intricate or sexy as the smell. Um, so it does leave me wanting a little bit as far as all those flavors I, I smelled, all those different pieces. I don't get those on the palate and it's a little uh, of a put off. Um, on the flip side, the finish, man, is damn bold. It is a great finish. It is long. There are waves of smoke, and it took me for a while to figure out what it was. Um, but as it mentions on the back of the canister there, uh, that chili pepper flavor also comes in waves. And it's kind of like it's there, and then there's some smoke and peat, and then it's there, and then it's some smoke and peat. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, if I was going to look at this scotch and define it as something, I'm calling it a blonde siren. It is a mermaid that's going to sing you the song that'll put you to your death. 56.5% <laughs> ABV. Um, I actually really enjoy the pepper at the end, but I will say it was a surprise. It was not at all what I expected from uh, a high end, at least a high, higher dollar log of woolen scotch. So with that for me, presentation absolutely five. Nailed it. Log of woolen, you did a great job. Uh, the color. So I'm not as particular i will say for me there are those pieces of the dark amber the the copper and the brass that are sultry um, that i absolutely seek out but i don't mind the blonde either um and it is it's 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 gets a three in the color scale for me um because it's nothing that is a stand out but it doesn't put me off at all it's just um it's kind of just there, but I do like, I, I think it's, it's amazing how pale it really is. Uh, on the nose, man, this is where, again, I don't, there aren't many scotches that we've tried in our 100 plus at this point where a nose is this impressive for a nose this nailed it for me. Um, and I'm giving it a 30 for the palate. 
Man, um, the palate, again, was a little bit of the disappoint. And for me, it's only getting a 25. Um, and that's the same with the finish, is that it just wasn't fantastic. I was hoping to be trying a scotch where we were going to be rating it and giving it some phenomenal score. Um, so mine score is definitely higher than yours for this particular variation. Uh, I'm getting an 88 total point scale for this one, but I was really, really hoping for like a 92 plus. Now, one thing to consider with our point scales, I've been why we started doing this and why we really appreciated that feedback is because we know we have different tastes and some of you may side with one of us more than the other. This will give you those opportunities as you test and sample scotches to see as we continue to test uh, and, and taste these scotches. If one of us rates it higher, then you may be, may be more inclined to say, yeah, that's Noah's taste. That's my taste. I'm going after that one. That other one, Jesse, he recommended the Log of Woolen 12. Hell no. So whatever it may be, I do enjoy it though. So 88, um, which... You know, I may be, this is a new point scale, I might be very giving at this point. It might be a little bit lower than that. It'll be interesting to see um, and maybe something we try to revisit down the road in the future. But an 88 for this one, would I share it with some friends? Yes, but it's interesting because it, for me, is a very easy drink, but it's not as fun as a regular Lagavulin 16. Um, it's not as fun as an Oban 14 or an Oban 18 or uh, Little Bay Oban. Um, there are a lot of other scotches out there that are just more fun, especially for the money. Um, and the, the one hands down would be 12 weeks ago, Offerman Charred Oak. I would take that any day over this. I am super glad I tried this. I, I, I am super glad it's something that I, I got an opportunity to enjoy and I do enjoy enjoy it. It's not as sexy as some of those other ones. Um, but man, it's hot. It's Valentine's hot. It's got the cinnamon in there like your love oils. Uh, with that, would I take it to a formal event? Yes. But again, man, um, I, I think there's some other ones that are more of my namesake. Um, but yes, to a poker night. Yes, um, to friends. The only thing that would stop me from taking it to any of those places is the price point. It's time for our shout outs. Season's going to be over before you know it. Um, once again, to Aiden and his team for continuing to win games um, in their uh, basketball season. And also to Mila for continuing to do great things at work and through school. Um, and just for being a really good sound. Like I actually think more and more she's becoming an adult that I continue to uh, grow and look more and more forward to having a long, lifelong relationship with. This is a person that, you know, whether she starts to date someone or she is dating someone, as she let me know. Uh, but as, as they're around, because they're off at school right now, uh, getting an opportunity to go to lunches and dinners with the two of them, I really look forward to that. Vacations, I love it. Um, so yeah, uh, kids, keep your heads on your shoulder and keep doing great things. Uh, my shout out is for your daughter, Mila. All right. <laughs> Mila, too. <laughs> but it will also roll into my gift together. As well. I know where you're going with this all of a sudden. I love it, too. <laughs> so, uh, Mila, uh, as you guys may or may not know, we're, we're roommates here. Uh, so, Mila came over 
and she was complaining about work and how one of, maybe like one coworker maybe is not pulling their weight as they probably should, <laughs> and they're not a new employee. And that was, I think, to see such a young person uh, realize and understand how how some people are with their work ethic and her complaining about it first just told me like the type of person that she is which is phenomenal and you raised a great daughter i already knew that anyways but like that just like that that really like that that was like the nail in the coffin right there i thought it was awesome and here complain about like about something like and this is a new this is a uh, true thing here is everyone's seeing it nowadays especially after covid there are people out there who just don't want to work or just don't work or they just have bad work ethic and this is a problem i think with uh with american business anyways and i think we've had too much of like uh socialism or whatever creep into our system because <laughs> they don't pay you for you as the type of employee or, or the type of work ethic that you are mm -hmm. they pay you for the position so also, you have two people who do the same job. One person slacks off, does nothing, gets paid the same amount as you do, and you might get a slight difference with the pay raise. But sometimes those pay raises aren't even enough to to validate that all the extra hard work that you put in. So I think it's a very important life lesson that I was kind of learned right there. And I love how she was like called it out, and she, I, I think it's awesome. She was and, passionate. Yeah, and I thought it was awesome. Like, I know I was laughing and stuff like that. I, I loved it. Like, I really did. I thought, like, that. she was like, I thought, wow, you are such an awesome person. And, yes, that other person is such a fuckhead. She did not use that term. She didn't. I'm saying, this is me. Uh, and so I was, uh, but it, it is out there. Like, you know, you'll see, like, anywhere, you, any job you go to, they're paying you for the position. They're not paying you for who you are, you know, and then, as you get your reviews or whatever, they'll give you like, you know, you might get a pay raise or a bonus, but a lot of times those two are kind of standardized anymore too. So once again, you might have someone who's pulling more weight than another person. And if you're the person who's pulling more weight at a certain point in time, I think that discourages people from becoming, uh, and becoming better and excelling in life because they start getting uh, uh, a bad taste in their mouth. Knowing that other people are going to get, the same amount of money as they are, and they're going to be, you know, they, they put in less work. In any case, shout out to your daughter. Get it together for those people who don't want to work. Agreed. And then, oh, I have one other get it together. For those of you who had, like, uh, New Year resolutions or whatever, and you're faltering on them, get it together. This this goes, this is probably right shooting right back at me. I'm talking about something <laughs> like this on the screen here. Mm. Like, uh, my one of my get it together is to, uh, like, make more healthy choices. Uh, and then I got after a rough start by pulling a muscle and stuff like that. I can't really go to the gym too much. Is it a big muscle? No, it was my calf muscle. That's a big muscle. But anyways, uh, don't get don't allow things to like derail you. If you get if you fell off the wagon this first month, there's still eleven other months for you to keep going. So get yourself together and keep pushing forward and, and uh, try to make that effort every day. Yeah, that's my get it together. All right, my get it together is just for the Americans who both support giving money to Ukraine. Uh, I saw a recent poll on CNN that believes we should continue to help fight uh, 
Ukraine's war with them with money, and they're talking about sending another half of a billion dollars or $500 million. Um, and then also the people who are looking for the student loan forgiveness. Now, at some point, you have to realize the reason that this has been stalled or stopped or denied, um, paused, whatever term you may want to use, so many times is because we're writing blank checks. That money doesn't just go away. It is not forgiven. We all end up paying for it in taxes. What I would like to say, though, is let's just, you know, let's take a poll. Let's have a vote. Let's contact the Senate and the Congress. Uh, Let's talk to these individuals and say, hey, let's just make a choice. Do we give a half a, mil a billion dollars to Ukraine or do we forgive debt? And I'd really love to see that poll. Where would you rather your money go to forgive your student debt? Would you like that 400, 500 million dollars to forgive all that debt or to go to Ukraine? And I'm betting there's a lot of selfish people out there that want to support the, the war in Ukraine, but the second it means they might not get debt forgiveness, they will say- Are those my only two options? Those are the options, man. <laughs> People like to write blank checks in America, I have learned, and so they need to write one. I'm just trying to stop them from writing two. <laughs>
I have nothing against taking a date there. It's just so undefined right now um, that it would not be my first choice. So when we were talking with the manager, we did learn it is also owned by the same owners as Little Rishi's uh, Pizza, which is just down the same shopping center uh, at the corner there, which we've had a good experience at. And um, again, I, I, you know, would I take a would I go there with a friend? Yes. Would I take a date there? Most likely, yes. Um, overall, though, man, uh, middle tier restaurant, not formal, not fast food. Value was pretty good. Definitely not as good as the tailgate on a Monday night, uh, but the value was pretty good. Uh, man, overall, I think I'm giving it a seven. I agree with you uh, as far as like the uh, ambiance or the atmosphere when you first, or you know the way it's uh, set up. Um, it was nothing special, but it was nothing that detracted from it. Um, in fact, I thought it looked. Uh, we had been there before but when it was previously like some Irish pub, and that place looked dark and dingy, and I don't know. <laughs> Uh, this place actually looked kind of inviting inside. Very, it's, it's still. I mean, because it is new, it's still kind of clean. And I think you're right. They don't. I don't think you have like a set clientele there yet. Uh, so maybe it's too new to really judge that part of it. Uh, but so far, I liked it as far as it. You know, as far as that goes, uh, the waiter was pretty decent, minus the fact that he uh, he mixed up our beers, but he fixed it. So that was that was okay. So I had no problem with that either. Uh, the onion rings, those were tasty. They were nice. Uh, They're like light and well battered and crispy enough. And uh, the dipping sauce um, was decent, not great, but decent. And the burger that I had was craft your own burger. So I got uh, with my burger. I did sourdough bread uh, with uh, bison meat. It did come out a little bit more pink than I would have liked. But that's fine. I don't mind eating like pretty pink raw meat, raw meat yeah. <laughs> zombie man over here. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I got it with like gouda cheese, bacon, avocado, and barbecue sauce. And uh, I thought it actually turned out pretty well. It looked good. Yours looked damn good. Uh, because it was uh, a craft one where you made you know made made you build your own. It did come out a little bit pricier than like the standard ones that they have on their menu, but I thought it was worth the price because I thought they, it was a good burger, and uh, sweet potato fries not quite where I wanted them to be, um, and maybe just because they're still new there, I have no idea. But like the something about the sweet potato fries was was still lacking. You know what I think would really like kick off those sweet potato fries, and I had this over at a uh, at a place in Salt Lake. But they have like sweet potato tots, and they use like a cinnamon butter, and that is so killer. And now I think if they maybe like just a little bit of like cinnamon butter on the uh, uh, sweet potato fries, that would probably like that kick it up a whole other notch. I agree, uh, absolutely. <laughs> but the other thing is, is like sweet potato waffle waffle fries aren't the good cut for me for sweet potato fries. I want just a fry or a tot. You mentioned the tots, delish. <laughs> So, uh, so the food there, I would give it an eight. I, I thought the food was good. Uh, the value, price value, maybe I think if you go just something off the standard menu, it might be better than uh, build your own because you get a little crazy there. Uh, 
Then uh, the wait staff, I'll give him a seven. And then um, the the manager kind of put me off a little bit. What? Agreed. Uh, and it really, just seemed like maybe he might have been like tweaked out on some <laughs> some yayo or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, he didn't seem like he was like fully there. So overall, I'm gonna give it a uh, seven point five. Uh, but it has room to be better. But it also has room to drop just because it's so new. Smarter challenge to decant or not to decant, and. Uh, TV review of the Queen's Gambit. All right. Well, first things first. Decanting. They sell tons of attractive, possibly even masculine, uh, awesome, superb decanters. All different shapes and styles. Noah has one of a Stormtrooper. Pretty badass. This one was gifted to me from Marissa Atlas, holding the world on his shoulders. And um, the first thing I will say uh, with any decanter um, situation is typically it doesn't benefit you to do anything but have an attractive decanter full of a liquor you want to put in it because with alcohol, with spirits, you're not getting the true benefit of a decanter. And what you are doing is aging that alcohol, in this case, scotch, more quickly. So for our exercise, we are not going to use an expensive scotch. We're going to use the Lagavulin 8, an inexpensive scotch, um, for our little experiment. Now, there is one point, and while I'm doing this and pouring this, um, I'll ask Noah to go over the details. When is it appropriate to decant? Okay, well, decanters, uh, when it comes to like uh, like liquor uh, or spirits, as uh, Jesse was mentioning, um, really it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to uh, decant them. It's more about um, more about show than anything else. Because uh, when it, when you're using a decanter, and the real main purpose of it is like what you find with wine. And uh, so with wines, what you're doing uh, there is that you are exposing more of the wine to the air to oxidate it uh, and also to that way it helps like bring out more of the characteristics of the wine and to uh, help it age a little bit quicker and mile out the tannins as well as uh, get rid of some of the, uh, uh, get rid of some of the sediments there. Uh, and so that's why when you see like wine uh, decanters, they have like a big open, uh, a big opening area, and then a, 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 an area where a lot of the wine is exposed. Like what you see with either like the teardrop decanters, where they kind of come down like that, like a narrow neck, and they come way out and widen out the bottom, or you have the uh, duck uh, decanters, uh, where they have like a little spout over here, and then they come down and they go back up. Uh, so it has kind of like the body of a duck. But the, the whole reason why that is there is so that way you get more air uh, exposed to the wine. And so therefore it will like mellow out the tannins. And once again, um, get rid of that sediment and, uh, and, and basically make it, you know, make it easier for you to drink. Especially if the wine is young 
or if it's either old and it's still kind of tight and you want to uh to have it open up now when it comes to like uh like like bourbons or scotches um here you know we wouldn't do it it's just more for like a i guess like a display or just kind of show off your drink it looks cool uh and honestly i think the atlas one there that you have is is awesome <laughs> Um, but here's the thing, like if you're going to be like using a decanter for your spirits, most likely you're going to be drinking the scotch within like a month to a month and a half, maybe two months at most. Uh, so it's really not there for long-term use. And then also when you are using a decanter with a, a spirit, that's why you have those lids on there. Some of them are kind of like loose tops. Like I think this one's more of a loose top and because it is more of a loose top, you're going to get more air in there. Uh, exposing it to the spirit and uh, therefore it's going to age quicker whereas if you had a like a, a like a tighter seal uh, on there if you had the tighter seal kind of like you would with your like with the cork toppers that you have on your actual scotch bottles uh, it will help it last longer and obviously like the more you drink of it the more is it, it's going to be exposed to the air and the faster it's going to age so uh, is that kind of like what you wanted me to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So it absolutely makes sense to decant wine, especially those high in tannins. You're breaking them down. You're making it more enjoyable for most. Now, some people really like super tannin wines. Don't decant it. It's that simple. You're also going to typically be drinking um, younger wines in that case uh, where they haven't broken down naturally. But with alcohols, it's all about the look. And at the end of the day, it is pretty cool. It's It looks fun. But as far as improving the flavor, the taste for a spirit, not really going to do anything. For a nice Bordeaux, might absolutely yeah. do a lot. So, like, as you mentioned, there's like one story I told you about, right, where uh, before I left Colorado and moved to uh, Utah, uh, I used to be a wine buyer, and uh, one of the uh, one of my clients uh, bought a, he bought some uh, 2001 uh, Grand Cru Bordeaux, uh, one of them being the uh, Lafitte Le Brachild. Uh, which at the time I think it was going right around like fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred dollars a bottle, and uh, as a going away gift, he opened up one of those bottles and uh, Jesus. he decanted it for twenty four hours and helped uh, open it up and mellow it out, uh, and it was a phenomenal bottle. We had it with some steaks and uh, and uh, baked potatoes and stuff like that. Incredible. And then after that, he opened up another uh, another Grand Cru Bordeaux. Uh, and then we went over to one of his buddies' houses, and they opened up, and he opened up uh, some other like, high-end wine. So I think that night we drank close to like eight thousand dollars worth of wine. It was a it was a fun night, great night. His name uh, Robert was his name. He's a he's a he's a good friend, and uh, and uh, he was a great uh, client of mine at the time. So but yeah, that's the reason why you would use uh, a decanter. You wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't really. Unless you want it for show, I really wouldn't re really recommend uh, a decanter for um, for spirits. But it does look fucking cool, dude. They are. It's I, I, cool I, like this. <laughs> this is pretty and, cool. And the, the stormtrooper one that Brian got me is kind of cool. I like it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's more about show than about show or showmanship than it is really about uh, something that's beneficial itself absolutely so if you've got some money to burn and fewer and fewer americans in our current economic situation do buy a decanter decant your liquors but first especially if you enjoy a good wine 
use a wine decanter, you're going to get more bang for your buck. Exactly. All right. It is pretty cool. It is kind of cool. <laughs> okay. yeah. It's a fun <laughs> one. <laughs> All right. So the second half of this Smarter Challenge, and I'm glad we both enjoyed it because I, I know and I had a very long conversation about this Smarter Challenge this weekend um, and some of the things that really stuck out and we're going to be sharing some of those with you right now. It is the 2020 Netflix series, seven episodes, The Queen's Gambit, originally aired first episode October 23rd of 2020. And man, I had seen it advertised for two years and never thought much of it. Um, and I will admit for myself, even the first episode, a little slow at the beginning. But once you finish that, I was hooked. I couldn't stop. <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I've heard people talk about saying how good it was, uh, even like on a... On a Buff Stampede, uh, which is like uh, the chat area or like whatever for all things but uh, for uh, University of Colorado and Buffalo sports. Uh, there's people who he, he did like an off-topic uh, thread there talking about the Queen's Gambit, and I still didn't watch it. I, I saw like the, uh, you know, the thumbnail that they have on Netflix. I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. And uh, I tried watching the first episode like three different times, fell asleep, like... <laughs> Through, like halfway through each time finally because it was a smarter challenge i forced myself to watch the first episode <laughs> all the way through by the time i finished that first episode i was hooked like, i couldn't stop watching i was up all night and i think i stopped watching it like at five o'clock in the morning i did a total binge of it uh which I, i'm kind of bad in that sense like if i get onto a show and it's binge worthy worthy for me i will like I will go without sleep to watch some old things, just so that way I can get it done with and out of my out of my life. But uh, I, I like that at the end of that first episode where she just goes in. Spoiler alert: where she goes in and grabs like all those drugs and those uh, those tranquilizers and just like starts gobbling them up like the candy. You knew that she'd be like, "Oh, dude, don't do that, honey. You're fucked." <laughs> How did she not die? Yeah, that's what I wondered too. <laughs> I would think they had a pump or stomach or something. <laughs> oh, man. Or whatever, but. Probably. But, uh, anyways. Yeah. Um, great series. Great show. Tons of fun. And the first thing I want to say is that uh, the character, Beth Harmon, played by Anna Taylor Joy. So, what made me originally want to see this series was... Anna Taylor Joy's performance in the movie The Menu. And then really revisiting and realizing that was the same person in the series I've been seeing all about, I was like, okay, now I really have to see this. She was a, and not just a, but the star. She was magic in this story. She was. She was magnificent. Um, there were some other great acts, actually, really, so many very good and great actors just not marvelous uh, which also is a word in one of my favorite quotes from this movie um and uh she is a marvel she is marvelous 
in her role playing this character that I think is great. It's a coming of age story, if you will. Uh, and it starts when the girl is five years old and it finishes when she's roughly 23. Um, she's pretty young to be playing the greatest Russian chess player on the planet. <laughs> some of those grandmasters like they're like these people like when they're like eight yes for sure but it's it's a marvelous coming of age story um her mother uh alma wheatley played by marielle heller did a good job but the other guy and i think this is probably true for you as well that kind of well actually there's a ton of them one of the most impactful characters um was the character william scheibel played by bill camp who plays the custodian who teaches the young Beth Harmon how to play chess. And the connection there for me watching the show was very evident right from the beginning, but it didn't hit her. And I think this was part of what made the story great until she revisited that herself 20, well, 15 years later in life. Well, I think that kind of holds true, though, for a lot of people. I think uh, you have mentors or people who come into your life that you have a great influence. And uh, while you're going through whatever you're going through, you don't realize what they mean to you or the influence that they had upon you at that particular point in time. And then later on, when you have that time to go back, if you're lucky and have that time to go back, uh, then, you, then you realize that the magnitude that they had on your life so like in this case here uh you like you see her like in the flashbacks that her father didn't want to have like i think the father wanted to have something wanted to have something to do with her at the very beginning but the mom wouldn't allow it then when the mom wanted to have the father come and become involved he had already moved on and didn't want anything to do with the daughter at that point so after after that she goes she becomes an orphan and then she gets adopted, and then her adopted parents, the dad took off on the on the adoptive mom. So once again, there was no father figure here. So the janitor, Mr. Scheibel, yes. uh, he actually was her father figure. And I don't think she really realized that he was a father figure. And he maybe not have been like the father figure in a traditional sense. But when you look at like uh, things that you can learn in life through chess, he was very much so uh, her father figure and taught her a lot of lessons uh, within chess that propelled her throughout life. And really, that uh, background of him teaching her chess uh, not only prepped her for kind of like life in general, but also set her up for success in that, in that sport or game of chess in itself. I 100% agree. And... It's also very interesting because I think in a lot of the stories and books and tales of that time, you do find these superbly impactful father figures who are very stoic, who are very honest, but super supportive, whether or not that child figure realizes it at the time. This kind of dives into the <laughs> deeper, and I don't, I'm going to go a little bit off track here. Go for it. Because this kind of like reminds me of just a TikTok clip. I think it might have been TikTok or it might have been a YouTube short or whatever. And it's also, it's you could go look it up. It's, it's you know statistically proven anyways. But uh, it it talks about this, this, this uh, video, talked about how 
single fathers have uh, the same amount of success rate or very close to as couples that stay together when they raise children. Whereas single mothers who don't have a father involved, like there's not a father figure involved, uh, they tend to have more children who are at risk. And, and uh, this the guy was talking more about those who go to jail and stuff like that. So children of single mothers have a much higher rate of going to jail than those, uh, than those children who are raised by a couple or those raised by a single father. And here, the influence of, uh, of the janitor, uh, Shabble, uh, is that father figure in her life. And I think that's what made it, helped her become so successful because he was strict about, like, the way he taught her, uh, he was able to lay down that law. Like, you don't do this. Like, you lost, even though you can't see, like, even though you can't see, you, you know, even though you see you lost or maybe you couldn't see it at the time, we're not going to play it out because you've lost. You just you do the respectful thing and you resign. Uh, and uh, there's like, a, and then like one time she uh, was negligent with her queen on the board. And he's like, because of this, you're punished. We're not going to play now. You know, and so he, he helped set those structures in place uh, that helped her both in the game and in life. And I think it's very important to have father figures involved in children. And this kind of is one way of showing it without showing it. It absolutely is. Uh, it was, again, it's kind of a magical story. Um, to give the quick outline, haven't done that yet, uh, that we mentioned it's a coming of age story of a young chess prodigy, in this case, super rare, uh, as particularly for the time, uh, a young female chess player starts to learn how to play chess at age five after her mother, um, as we were talking about, not necessarily a successful mother, decides to go a different route and she is orphaned, goes to an orphanage, um, learns to play chess, eventually is adopted by a couple who had tried to have a child but could not themselves and then continues to learn and grow with chess in high school school and beyond with this magical journey and she had uh, like a magical journey in life um, she learns a lot of things very quickly has already grown up pretty much but has to grow up and experience different things to see the full colors and or possible tragedies that life can bring um, one of them being drinking to the point where she's useless uh, she's in her own pit of despair and she has to climb her way out. She does that with a friend. Um, and ultimately, after losing once to the world champion chess player, um, her one chance not to have to do it in Russia, she was in Paris, um, gets the chance to face him again in Russia. And her own battle uh, is one that's beautiful in a sense that she had to do it herself. She did not take any easy roads. Um, she did make some poor choices but she made a lot of great choices and she also stayed true to herself particularly towards the end of the film where she has to decide is she going to make political statements one way or another for all these different groups who did nothing but give her maybe a little bit of a time or a little bit of money she didn't believe in them she gave them their money and time back <laughs> so I, I think this uh this series and this particular uh character 
there's a couple of things that I, I think is that holds true for anyone who is successful in life, and it's and it's even brought up a little bit there uh, when she first gets interviewed by the Time people uh, when she's staying there at, at the uh, her adopted parents' house with the adoptive mother uh, as her so-called manager, but the uh, the reporter was saying something about like. Uh, being narcissistic, I think, uh, or uh, obsessive, right? Because somebody, somebody, you have to almost be, you have to be so obsessed about obtaining a certain goal that you seem crazy to other people sometimes. Because if when you look at like the average normal person or the average person, uh, they their focus uh, gets distracted quite a lot, you know. Um, it's like that dog for that movie, uh, that cartoon movie. He's like squirrel, and like <laughs> <looks> over, squirrel, <laughs> squirrel, and and, uh, and people get distracted very easily, uh, and they and they're not obsessed by it. And if you start reading like any like kind of like self help books and stuff like that, they talk about lots. A lot of them talk about like how you have to be totally obsessed about your goal. Like you have to basically eat, sleep, breathe, dream, everything about your goal. Like you have it set in front of you, and and this creates a a program basically in your mind that anything other than that goal gets flushed out, and all you're doing is you're focusing on on achieving your goal, and no matter what the obstacle is, it's if it's not if you already made that decision to go after that goal, everything else goes off to the wayside. And really, when you look at decision and how it breaks down. Uh, when you it's it's to put to death, right? So a decision is to put to death all other options, and I think this uh, this TV series and her character really shows that because her mom tries to distract her, uh, and she there's a couple times where she does end up getting distracted, and you see what happens uh, to her uh, her play as a chess player, uh, which starts to, like it she does not perform as well as she could when she gets distracted, and so. Uh, not saying that there isn't a time and a place for you to distract or maybe take a breather, but um, I think this really shows like how when you're in pursuit of a, a worthy ideal, uh, you do definitely need to be obsessed with it. Absolutely. Another thing that I want to mention about this series, it did win. I'm nominated for even more awards. It won 11 Primetime Emmys, two Golden Globes, of which, uh, of course, one was uh, Anna's acting. And then uh, Anna also won the Screen Actors Guild Award for her performance. Uh, and Noah brought this to my attention earlier. This has been the most successful Netflix series of all time. <laughs> and it's great. Yeah, he also brought up that after this happened, the chess.com sites, uh, purchases, subscriptions, however they run it, uh, went up 500%, five-fold, 500% more chess boards were selling, chess books were selling, um, chess games, all sorts of things. So it made a very big impact, and I think that's wonderful. I, I actually do think it's great. I don't think there's enough of those games where one thinks about the strategy, uh, because in life, there are truths, and we don't always want to admit it, but there are certain types of people. We deal with them 
Mila just dealt with one at her job where this person, as she's, uh, you know, going on, was saying, I don't, they're quitting. How do they even still have a job after months of doing the same thing, which is nothing? And that is one of those players on our own personal chessboard. It's learning who the rooks are or who the knights are, what the queen can do. Is she more impactful than the king? And that's pretty much, I think, the, the beautiful piece of the queen's gambit, the gambit being the giving of uh, one's peace, if you will, uh, the sacrifice, that gambit the sacrifice to get advantage on the board and the way the series ends is beautiful do you have um, one or several favorite quotes or points of the movie yeah well one of the, this is not necessarily a quote but definitely a point here and i didn't really realize it but i know we talked about it but in a roundabout way is that we talked about all the different outfits that she wore. Oh, amazing! Like, and and he, like, I'm not like I'm not like super into fashion. Like, I, maybe like when I was younger, I, I was more into like some like designers and stuff, but not as much anymore. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, some of the some of the dresses and outfits that she wore were were incredible. And the, what I didn't really realize until I, I saw some like some factoid sheet about this uh the series is that a lot of it was inspired by a chessboard so they're they're using like like squares or straight lines or diagonals of white and black and uh like you notice it but you don't notice it it's kind of <laughs> subtle but then when i read it i'm like oh yeah that's so obvious and and jesse and i were talking about this the other day about the outfits that she wore and how she looked really classy and it was very uh uh i'm not even sure what the right word would be but very uh both elegant and, sophisticated yeah like, in the 60s right yeah and uh the uh the other thing here that i thought uh well i'll, I'll say my uh my quote here anger there's two quotes this is uh, my second favorite not my favorite my second favorite is anger is a potent spice. Mm. A pinch wakes you up and too much dulls your senses. And it's so true. Like anger is such a great emotion that it can drive you to success, but at the same time, too much of anger uh, can drive you to your own demise. And I think that's it's very true. And you see it happen to her uh, as well. And I know it happens in my life, and, and I'm sure people, you might, I mean, some of you listeners, you might have experienced that as well, you know, where um, someone upsets you, gets you angry, it'll drive you because you got the passion to prove them wrong or whatever, and that could be a great motivator, but at the same time, if they get you, if you get too pissed off or too angry, you start getting tunnel vision, and then next thing you know, you, you become self-detrimental. And you uh, end up making uh, you make a bigger mistake than what you started off with and why you got angry. Um, the other one, and I think this one is, is awesome. And, and I think it really, when you look at her life being an orphan, look at her mother, like, and I really find, I, I get it, like, uh, your mind is like a program uh, or like software. And the most amount, like most of the programming gets done by by the time you're age five. Anything after that, it takes it takes a lot of work to rewrite any of that software in your software in your mind. But 
when you look at her being an orphan, uh, the, the the stuff that her mom said to her, which was very detrimental to her uh, and affects her throughout most of her young life. Uh, and then looking at like her her life as a, living you know in the foster uh, with her foster parents or adoptive parents. This one here is that she says uh, when, when talking about the chess about playing chess, uh, it's the entire world of 64 squares. I feel safe because you look at before this point right here. Her dad didn't want her. Her mom didn't want her. Went and crashed the car. Killed herself. Could have killed her too. She becomes an orphan. No one you know, for like five to like thirteen years old. Nobody wanted to adopt her. Then she gets adopted. Her adopted dad leaves her. So she probably has that that sense of insecurity of like not feeling safe and people abandoning, you know, like abandonment issues because people would abandon her. Uh, and then. Because of all this stuff, too, she has no control over any of that. So in this quote here, uh, it's the entire world of 64 squares. I feel safe. I can control it. I can dominate it. And it's predictable, unlike life. Like, yes, you can predict some things in life, but there's, there's an aspect of life which you can't predict. And because of this, she says that, so if I get hurt, I only have myself to blame. And I think that's so important because... When you look at her life uh, uh, growing up, she didn't have control. She didn't feel safe. Uh, the world was not predictable. But in chess, she could zoom everything down into that. And I think it's phenomenal. And I think it helped her progress in life. Absolutely. Uh, it is a great quote and it's, it's a reality, um, not just for her in this movie, but for so many people in general. Really, my favorite quote, and we did also talk about this one, is when and it's, it's the second to last episode, I believe. It might be the last episode. And uh, she plays, Beth Harmon plays, Luchenko. Um, Luchenko being someone whose book she read uh, when she was young, when she was, I believe, five years old, maybe six years old, is learning to play chess, reads this book, The Basics of Chess, a, a different piece, uh, really, but learning his strategies at a very young age. Uh, and she plays Luchenko in Russia. And it's approaching the end of the game after he, um, they took a pause into the game because the game was running late. Uh, huge number of contestants. So it's not something where it's one day, two days, three days. This goes until it is done. Um, she's playing Luchenko. It's end of night. Uh, the night comes to an end. They're all going back to the rooms. Luchenko uh, takes a little break with a couple other Russian master and uh, masters and they're all talking they don't realize at this point you brought this up she had learned to speak russian and she had hidden it very well very well played uh, a brilliant chess move if you will but she hears them talking about how she uh, beth had all but cornered luchenko so what were his ways out and she hears what 
three possible moves were going to be. Um, the next day, they adjourn or they they rebegin the game, and she knows most likely what he's going to do. So she plays the game and bests him yet again um, to the point where he realizes he is beaten, and he resigns and lets her know you're a marvel my dear i have just play, play, played the best chess player in my life and why this is so impactful to me and why that quote is so powerful is because this was in many ways one of her idols her gods the pe the, the person who she learned so much from at a young age and I can only imagine because I have not experienced that um, but I can only imagine how powerful that would be to meet your idol and idol and best them to the point where uh, you conquered the king I, I would imagine that'd be uh, an impressive feat as like to have them tell you that you, you, you like Fill you with such pride, but at the same time, melt you at the same time. Yes. Because uh, you just be like, man, my, 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 uh, my idol, like, said I, I, like, I hit the pinnacle, I beat them, right? And then I'm proud that I did it, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, you're like, I don't know. I would be so many emotions together. Yeah. Oh, man. The, uh, the other, and I don't have the whole quote, but the other quote was right around... If you become grandmaster at 16, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> and that is an interesting thing to think about, because if you only have one goal, I think is the point for me, as I hear that, if, if this is your only goal in life, is to become the grandmaster, what are you going to do with the rest of your life once you win? Well, once you're the best, you can stay the best, which is far harder than getting to be the best. Staying the best is far harder. Um, or you can find some other goals, but otherwise you're going to fall. Yeah, um, th that was a good quote as well. I think some of the things here that you could take away from this, this series is that you can see how she started to, to kind of manipulate people using chess uh, to, real thing, to real life, right? She started, like, and, and this is true with the playing chess, and this is why, like, uh, uh, people who are into strategy, like, or in the military and stuff will play chess, is that you start looking at possible moves. You have to, you know, think so many moves ahead. And you can tell, like, when, like, the end of the first episode, after she starts to first learn how to play chess and starts picking it up, she starts maneuvering how to get into the uh, little storage room to get those, those drugs. Damn pills. <laughs> right? and, and, but, then you, but then later on, like, throughout the whole, like, episode, you know, like, the whole series, you can see how she's, like, she maneuvers and I, I don't want to say manipulate because I don't think manipulate is really the best word, but uh, maybe that maybe that's the only word that, uh, that really comes to mind, but I guess moves people and how she reacts to those moves and stuff like that and to position herself uh you know in life as well as on the board all right i know we're running a little <coughs> long here um any particular scenes that really stand out as some of your favorites or something what moved you okay the first one the first one that moved me the most is after uh Shibble, i always screw up his name i'm sure i'm pronouncing it wrong too but uh Shibble? Scheibel. So after the janitor, Scheibel, dies, and she goes back to the school, 
and uh, she goes down into the basement where he where they would always play the chess games, and she sees the picture of when the uh, I don't I don't know if it's like the high school chess club guy or maybe it was like a newspaper or whatever, but it took a picture of her and him together, and he still looks like a you know like grumpy old crankshaft type of guy. And she wasn't like she looked any better. She wasn't smiling either. <laughs> but I think at that point in time, at that exact moment, because when she went in there, she saw that he had tracked her whole career with paper clippings. Even her adoptive mother didn't do that. And she made a quote on an airplane. She goes, maybe I should start scrapbooking all of this. But she didn't scrapbook all of it. Or if she did, we don't see it in the, in the series. But he did. He took he took out all the clippings. He had it all posted up on the wall along with that picture. And she took down a picture. And I think at that very moment, she realized that was her father figure, and it didn't hit her until that moment. And, and that was super emotional. It is super emotional. Um, it, it's like dynamically super emotional to realize this person um, who, when she needed $5 to get into her first tournament, was the person she wrote and who sent her immediately $5. She said if she won, she would refund it and double it to $10. And uh, her friend, when they get back into the car, doesn't understand, but makes another good, uh, a great saying is, did you bite off more than you can chew going in there? Because she breaks down. And part of the breakdown was she still owed this man $10. But can you imagine uh, seeing this board, to your point, the mother, the, the stepmother hadn't scrapbooked anything, um, was really just there for joy in the ride because she had no other source of income, had no skills, no talents, or... A, B, she's much like Mila's co-worker where she just didn't want to work. She wasn't working. Uh, she was just along for the ride. And all of a sudden you see this board. And it is a board full of this man's, Scheibel's, Shabel's pride. He was so proud of any everything Beth Harmon had done in her career. And to see that would be overwhelming. It would break me down too. Yeah, so I'd say that's probably like one of my favorite scenes. I think another really great scene was at the very, very end when she beats the Grandmaster and he says the game is yours and hands the king over. He doesn't like lay it down. Uh, and he didn't actually say he resigns. He just says the game is yours and shakes her hand handing him or handing, handing her the king in his, you know, from his hand. Yeah. And I think that was like, a, I think that was a, a great scene there because that just shows her achieving her goal what she's been obsessing over and then to finish it off basically telling the state department to go fucking <laughs> yes, and, yes. And, and instead of like going to the airport and goes and plays some uh, park chess with a bunch of like random like russians right and i think that was one of my all like for it's like that's like a whole like whole long scene yeah for almost seven you know hours of of shows, probably like five hours, 40 minutes if you round it down because it's about 40 minutes per episode. But for, for six hours of TV, the ending was just as impactful as most of these other scenes, seeing her play and she walks into this park in Russia where all these older guys are playing chess and immediately they show her A, respect, B, they know who she is. C, they're just so happy to see her that she would 
grace them, and I think that this is a truth, she graced them with her presence. I'll bet no other grandmaster had ever done that. Probably not. And she sits down and plays a game. It's, be it's a beautiful ending. It is a beautiful ending. Uh, do you want to end it there? I guess, I mean, no, I if you want to keep going, I'm game. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I was going to just mention, like, one of, I think, uh, one of these cool factoids here about this show is actually two, like, two masters actually, like, played out all these games and designed it. And then when they were filming uh, the actors playing, they were actually really playing chess. So although you didn't see their actual games on camera when they were really playing it, but their whole reactions about when they were playing were, were true reactions because they were actually playing chess and they were filming them. So, like, when she was, like, down like this, she was actually really, like, she was playing a game. She was really playing a chess game and stuff like that. And I think another kind of cool fact that they talked about here is that uh, in competition chess and stuff like that, uh, a lot of times they do, like, look up at the ceiling or other places to play out the... Uh, the different moves in our mind and stuff like that. Even though, you know, it showed her doing it. I, I, you know, with success or being obsessed with something, there's always a downfall. And I think for her, that might have been her addiction to those tranquilizers to initially to get to that focus point. Like near the end, she proves that she could do it without it. But I think for the first majority of her life, she had to have that in order to see those uh, figures come to life. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, can you imagine the, the journey of life, what it's like for that kind of uh, trial and tribulation? Great story. And really, one of the fun things it makes me want to do is start playing chess again. <laughs> I'm one of the 500%. <laughs> there's one last thing here. One last thing. This also ties into one of our other topics. Uh, it ties into... The best of Heath Ledger. Okay, yes. You mentioned this fact. So uh, Heath Ledger, he was actually obsessed with this book, and he wanted to be he wanted to actually direct uh, the Queen's Gambit and make it into a movie. Uh, but that whole that that whole thought process of making it into a movie was put on the back burner after he uh, committed suicide. So I think yeah, or oh, dear. <laughs> Conspiracy theory, Tim Hat was killed, uh, died. We'll just say he died. But after he died, uh, that kind of put that project on a back burner and it didn't get basically brought back up until this Netflix series. Yeah, and you mentioned it right there. The TV series is uh, based on a book with the same title written in our, our novel written in 1983 by Walter Tevis. So it might be a good read. Might be. All right. Uh, I guess what's, uh, that's it, right? I'm, I'm done unless we got anything else. I think we're good. Right. I mean, I know we could talk about this for yeah. like all night. <laughs> Uh, so what's uh, our next week's scotch here? All right. For next week, Noah has selected for us the Glen Scotia Single Malt Scotch Whiskey Double Cask. This is their classic Campbellton malt, rich and spicy. Hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I'm digging it. I'm actually enjoying it more now than before. <laughs> All right, for next week's Smarter Challenge. Smarter challenge. All right, I was struggling a little bit about next week's Smarter Challenge. Uh, 
but I think I'm going to go with my original thought. Uh, I'll tell you, like, there was going to be one, like, when we were walking into the liquor store, I almost made our smart challenge to be to watch, uh, the, watch and do a review of Cobra, Cobra Kai. TV I series. still need to watch that. I still want to watch that. I haven't seen one episode, but it sounds cool. And the sixth <laughs> season is getting ready to come up here soon. The sixth <laughs> and final season. Shit, that thing's been around for six seasons? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I mean, no. they're really quick. They're like, uh, they're only like twenty minutes long. Or okay, something. okay, that's not so too bad. It's pretty quick. <laughs> but uh, so, like, when we were walking into into that liquor store earlier, and I and I said, when I said there, no, uh, no, there's no mercy in this dojo or whatever. Oh yeah, no mercy in this dojo or. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't remember what I said. There's something like that. And you started laughing. And you said you thought the same thing. So I'm like, oh, maybe we should talk about dude Cobra Kai. But I'm gonna go with my original one. All right, my original one because I know you kind of like this subject a little bit. Having to do a little bit with Hollow Moon Theory. Ooh. But it's uh, to watch the movie uh, Moonfall. Okay, I have not seen it yet. And uh, so watch. We'll do a re- review of the movie uh, Moonfall and talk a little bit about mega structures along with uh, the Hollow Moon theory because uh, Moonfall has to do with the moon being hollow, but it's not necessarily hollow. It's a mega structure. So I, I figured that'd be uh, kind of a, a good topic there. So I think it's a great topic, and also anyone who thinks that's impossible never saw Star Wars Death Star. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's two of them. <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you, everyone, for watching us uh, on YouTube or Rumble. Uh, please like, share, subscribe for all those who listen to us on our audio, uh, any of those audio platforms. We thank you for that as well. And uh, pass it on to you. All right. Remember, drink responsibly. Um, let us know more feedback. Did you like the point scale? Did you hate the point scale? We don't quite know ourselves where this is going to go, what a good scotch rating will or will not be. Uh, but we'll keep track of these for ourselves and continue to learn and grow, continue to use feedback. So we rep- appreciate all of that. Uh, stay classy, America. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Scotchman! Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a Patreon member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.